This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again talking about loan documents tonight. Why am I talking about loan documents? Because, well, I'm closing on a mobile home park tomorrow and well, time to sweat it, frankly. I better uh, make sure this is a good deal because I'm about to sign away a little bit of my family's future here if I if I screw up. So uh, that's how it works with recourse, which is one of the things I'm going to talk about here. But ultimately, closings are exciting, right? It's um, buying deals. It's fun. It's part of wealth creation. It's um, it's, it's it's what I love about the business, right? Is is going through the process. Uh, closings are fun. Operations can be messy, but I actually like operations too. But today we're going to talk about the next in our little mini series here of legal documents. We've covered things like closing documents, you know, deeds, affidavits, bills of sale, assignment of leases. We've talked about PPMs and operating agreements and contracts and leases. Uh, loan docs are one that uh, one category that sometimes you can't really modify them a lot. I'll be honest, uh, but you got to know what's in there. And I'm in the middle of the the deal I'm closing tomorrow is a, it's a local, it's a Missouri deal, but the bank is from Illinois. We've got a good relationship with an Illinois bank and I'm pretty used to their documents, right? So I don't even really read them at this point because I've done, I don't know, seven or eight deals with the bank and, and they're all the same, right? But I, I negotiated the terms and the term sheet and I figured out through my uh, loan application and my loan cover letter request, kind of the terms that we would, uh, we agreed to. And then that's what gets put into the template docs. So from a loan docs, you really got about three categories of, I say, lawyering on the other side. You got the smaller banks that pretty much use like laser pro docs, which are basically cheapo templates. And the bank really can't modify it or it you know jacks with their liability coverage. So the way that you get them to modify it is you can modify the terms that are in bold. So you can put stuff like, you know, sign your name, Ferd Neiman, comma, subject to section 17 in my email. I mean, I've actually done that in like trash contracts and stuff, but on a loan doc, I'll get them to change some of the stuff sometimes in the bold. And that's how you get the sales guy, frankly, the, the loan officer to work around some of the loan committee rules. Not that they want to get, you want to get them in trouble, but um, it really is to correct errors that instead of having to go through some legal department in New York City that doesn't know anything about anything on the deal, they just know this is what our malpractice coverage says we can do. Uh, we're, la- we're laser pro, right? So laser pro is the worst for negotiation. Um, the second worst is probably you know, your agency loans. I'm going through a refinance and I just went through a closing and refinance for clients on two, oh no, I guess three Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loan docs. And they even tell you right out of the gate, you cannot change these documents. If you try to, it's over. You know, you have to basically preordain that you're okay with their template. And for the most part, that's the way it's going to go because they're, the loan originators are working on behalf of the federal government agency. So they've got limited flexibility. But there are some provisions you can change on a limited basis, particularly as it pertains to bad boy carve-outs, which I'll get into. Um, so that's so that's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac docs. Uh, 
The third docs are going to be negotiated docs. And negotiated docs is where the seller, not the, sell, not the seller, excuse me, in this case, the lender hires a real estate lawyer or a banking lawyer of some sort to represent the bank. Typically, they charge you, the borrower. So an MH, MHP deal is kind of rare, um, but I used to do retail deals and it was, it was more common. It's expensive, uh, frankly, because you're paying for the lawyer for your side and their side. And the bank still has a you know quality lawyer represent them. So it's not like you can get everything, but sometimes you can get them to modify terms. That's better for high net worth individuals that have a bunch of other balls in the air, if you will. But ultimately, loan docs, there's a number of documents the banks that make you sign. They're, they're largely boilerplate, things like a business loan agreement, a promissory note. They're going to want to record, you know, depending on the state, it's called a deed of trust or a mortgage. Those are the two most common. Some states, I know like Georgia has like a deed to secure debt. It's, it's basically the same thing. They're going to want some sort of corporate LLC or personal resolution authorizing you to close. Uh, there's going to be a guarantee document identifying who has a guarantee on the loan. Often it's the borrower, the parent, the subsidiary, and the you, the person. They're going to know who the certificate of beneficial owners are. Basically, if it's if it's my LLC, if I own more than twenty percent, I need to be a guarantor on the loan, and they need to know who's who's you know at the end of the rainbow, if you will, within the LLC. They want to see the structure, of the operating agreement. Those documents don't typically make it into closing, but they've already reviewed them as part of the certificate of beneficial ownership. There's often a what they call a commercial security agreement, and there's some documents like that that are also related to personal property, like the homes. It's got through the UCC for purposes of they call it perfecting the lien. And then there, there's often a subordination agreement, if you will, um, which basically just subordinates other interests to the lender, which is in, in particular is imp of importance on syndications when there's other classes of citizen, so to speak, like, you know, class A limited partner membership interest. So those are the documents. But today, I'm going to just briefly go through, I'm going to call them like four categories four categories of things you want to look for. And these are things that you might be able to change or you at least want to verify. And the number one, in my opinion, is recourse. Like, okay, I think we all know what recourse is. It means if all goes to hell on the deal, do you lose your house or not? Okay, so most agency loans, uh, which would be Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, and frankly, most conduit loans, like CMBS loans, they're non-recourse. Now, there are exceptions to that for bad boy carve-outs, things like fraud, deceit, uh, waste in the property. Basically, if you really jack it up, you're, you're, they're going to come after you. But that's pretty rare um, that you have those bad boy provisions that, that come into play. Um, on, a, on a regular local bank or regional bank deal, you typically have a recourse deal. And the recourse means it's a personal guarantee. So like I'm doing a deal right now, the loan's about $2.1 million the bank's got personal recourse to me, right? And I actually could have went agency on that, but I'm choosing to go local because there happens to be, frankly, an unbelievably better terms with my local bank. Uh, one, because I have a good relationship with them, but two, because right now we're in the COVID world and agency loans have COVID, COVID reserve. That really kills the yield and you got to put up anywhere from, it depends on the, the loan and term and all, but at least six months of payments in reserve. That's a couple hundred thousand bucks that you got to you know borrow on, pay pref on, and put in a piggy bank at zero percent interest, um, and then you got to pay through agents. You got to pay lender legal. You got to pay for a property condition assessment. You got to pay for different levels of su survey and things like that. It, it, there's a lot of soft costs in agency loan. The benefit is you, you can kick the recourse, but you want to make sure that you know what you're getting in the recourse. If I have partners on a deal who own more than twenty percent, 
the bank typically wants them to sign the recourse also. If that's the case, I want them to shave down my recourse, right? I just closed on a deal and a partner had 25% of the deal. So he signed on 25% of the recourse. I signed on 75. Now, some banks make you have extra coverage. Uh, my old business partner, I remember when we were doing retail, he was a high net worth guy. The bank made him sign 100%. And if I had 10% of the deal, I just signed 15%. So 150% of my interest, the other guy to sign, you know, 100% of his 90% interest. So the bank was covered. Uh, obviously, this guy being worth a ton of money, if the deal went south, the bank was going to make give him that phone call that, hey, it's time. We're coming for you for recourse. Now, he could come after me under the operating agreement, but the bank wanted to, always wants to go after the guy with the deepest pockets, which is why if I got a junior partner in the deal and I got deeper pockets, I want my recourse to be limited pro rata. That's negotiated. That's a really big deal. That's why I got number one on the four things to look for. Number two are your terms, your standard terms. These are things you should have had in your, your loan commitment. I just want to make sure they're there. You know, like I've got an 80% loan to value loan at 3.25% interest with the five-year fixed rate. So the, the, the five years to fix with the balloon at the end of five years. Sometimes you have interest only. Sometimes you have a 10-year fix. Sometimes you have, sometimes you have, sometimes you have other provisions um, that are just basic terms. But then really, I dig into number three, the additional terms. And these are the things that are more kind of you-specific. And a lot of people don't think of these. And to some degree, they don't matter until you get a bigger um, bigger portfolio. But, I mean, like for my deals now, the bank wants me to have, you know, wants the deal to have a certain debt coverage ratio. Um, they want to have a certain lease-up or infill ratio if it's a heavy infill project. They want me to have a global debt coverage ratio because I have other other assets and other, you know, expenses and debts and liabilities like most people. And if I'm doing a bunch of remodel projects, you know, a bunch of infills at one time, it's not good for my coverage ratio. If I got a bunch of stabilized deals, it is, right? And then I got other incomes from things like legal fees or passive investments. And I got other expenses, uh, you know, putting my kids in private school for God's sake, excuse me, Christmas. Um, those additional terms are important. Um, sometimes you want to look for a prepayment fee. You can probably negotiate the prepay fee, frankly, to just a refi fee if you go to a different lender, you know, refi out, which I've, I've, I've agreed to that fee a few times. But frankly, not that the bank's not that smart, but you could, there's only if you refi. So I'm like, there's you just you can just pay it off cash, which is not simple, obviously. It's a bigger number a lot of times. But you can pay it off cash, get the lien released, and then do a cash out refi on a deal you have no, no debt on. And I've even asked a bank if I could do that, and they said yes. So they just don't like being, uh, and you should have good relationships and maintain relationships. It's just generally, you know, bad taste to refi out with a different lender, unless it's an agency lender, and then they kind of get it because you spit the hook on the recourse, right? Um, another thing banks sometimes want on these additional terms is reporting requirements. Oh, I got, I made the mistake. I had one bank. This is a Missouri bank, and I was doing a bunch of reporting for my investors in the syndication, so they, the bank knew about it, and I gave the bank some reports. Well, then my Illinois bank, I was looking at another deal, and I told them, oh, yeah, I got these reports. I got this great software rent manager. I can kick out all this crap. Well, they're like, oh, well, we want that. We want that now, too. So now I'm doing monthly reports to the lender that I had basically got away with not having to do for three or four years. So that's kind of a pain. And those reports are typically things like at least a P&L and a rent roll, and I do sitemaps every month too. Um, but sometimes they want a trial balance or a balance sheet. They want quarterly, or they want, excuse me, they want annual reports, they want annual tax returns, they want annual personal financial statements from all the guarantors. That stuff's pretty standard. 
And they typically give you some time. It's like 30 days after you file your tax return. So if you file extensions and you file on October 15th, you can turn this stuff into the bank November 15th. So not the big deal. Uh, the next thing the bank wants is some sort of, uh, I call them documents to make them feel warm and fuzzy. These are things like an agreement to provide insurance, which makes sense, right? Like you need to list the bank as an additional insured or lender of record or lien holder on your casualty insurance, on your liability coverage, on if you own personal property. And then depending on the bank, uh, they may want life insurance. So I now have banks that require life insurance on me, you know, in case I get hit by a bus or something. Uh, that the money can go to pay down the loan, frankly, so that they don't have to worry about you know who's on who's sitting on you know on deck, if you will, for the team. So I've actually got to the point where I've pre I've pre purchased um, larger life insurance packages. So don't tell my wife, but I'm worth more dead than alive. And with those packages right now, the, those proceeds go to the investment, go to my investors, frankly, the uh, to the LLCs. But the impetus for them was really the lender requirement. Another thing lenders require sometimes is a subordination agreement. And, and banks typically want these if there's some distinction, if you will, amongst members. So if it's just me and dad and a deal, it's clear that it's just us. There's nobody else. But if there's a uh, preferred return to a limited partner, they're going to start to wonder, wait a second, who is this limited partner? Does this person defer give away you know, superior rights? And rather than try to deep dive into the 195-page private place memorandum and offering agreement, or excuse me, uh, operating agreement, the bank just wants me to sign some sort of subordination agreement. And they've got, a, I've got a resolution to closing that says like, I can sign. Here's why. I'm the manager of the manager of the manager of the entity. Okay. Then I, I, I sign off on behalf of my limited partners that their interest is subordinate to the debt, which which is the deal I cut with them, right? And then by, by definition, essentially, that's what preferred equity is and preferred return. So makes sense. But really, those are the key things to look for. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. And if you get into um, seller finance deals, you know, things like the promissory note perhaps become more important. You can negotiate it better. Maybe you can even spit the recourse, um, things like that. But ultimately, the, the four things I look for, I, I categorize them as recourse, yes or no, you know, deal terms, uh, additional terms, and then provisions and documents to make the bank feel warm and fuzzy. There's a whole bunch of other answer documents that I mentioned at the beginning that I won't mention again. But ultimately, those four things... Uh, we'll get you home. Till next time, have fun. Dodge the recourse. God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts. Give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.